to open this pod however you like in your day of great morning. It's Miami Heat team. It has been very fun to watch throughout the playoffs for me, like especially months and months with nothing like this in my life to like the Heat exceeding all expectations, just tearing through the East. That Eastern Conference run was so fun. Eastern Conference Finals, Game 1, Bam Adebayo with the most physically insane block I've seen in NBA history to win the game and getting the Celtics out of there in six. It was like, there was nothing this team I felt like couldn't do. It felt like this was the perfect heat culture team and just the perfect year. And what better way to cap off this run in the finals than facing LeBron and proving once and for all that he never should have left. I was aware that we could easily lose this series. I'd be a fool not to be, but just thinking about it, we had a chance because we were the best team in the East. We were the team whose stock improved most in the bubble. And game one happens. We hop off to a 13-point lead in the first quarter, but then as soon as Lakers get it going, we're just not prepared for anything <laughs> at all. It wasn't very fun. And then as soon as we get down nine, like – you know, nine points ain't the end of the world, but that's when we lost the series because then, like, second quarter, Lakers are in the middle of, like, this 20-3 to run, and that run would not get any better after this, but starting point guard Goran Dragic gets hurt. Ugh, and I feel so bad for the guy. I mean, he's 34 years old. He's been in the league since, like, 2008. And he was, like, the big free agent signing after LeBron left because he made third team All-NBA once. That's how kind (laughs) of far down we were looking. And since then, he's been, like, a part of countless trade rumors. A guy just this solid, this solid of a pure point guard going year in and year out on a team that gets swept in the first round. Two nine seeds. A team that just misses the playoffs entirely. Like, a lot of people, myself included, were wondering what he's still doing here, especially this late in his career. He's made an all-star team. He's had all this success, and I appreciate watching him. He's been one of my favorite players. It just felt weird that he was here when there are so many contenders, especially this season and going back a few years, that were a pure point guard away from taking that next step. And Dragic is, like, about as solid and dependable of a pure point guard as they come. And to see him this playoffs to like reap the rewards of what he's been like waiting for all his whole career. Cause he was in Phoenix before he came to Miami. That's where he made the all NBA team. And yeah, this was his first chance at playoff success since like he was way back on those Steve Nash teams as a rookie and he made the most of it. This was, you know, what his whole career had been leading up to was him being the most consistent scorer in the playoffs, easily. And to see that happen in Game 1 of the NBA Finals, his first and now likely only chance he's going to get, now it sucks so much. An interview after, he was like, I have to ask God, why now? God, if that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what will. But Game 1 didn't go how we planned. Bam Adebayo, the guy who made the crazy block in the Eastern Conference Finals, watched the replay of that block because 
a human being's arm isn't supposed to really move like that to get a ball out of the rim. It worked. <laughs> it worked at the time. And he played great the rest of the series, but something was off after that. You can't do that and have a good shoulder afterwards. Mm. And it doesn't help that Dwight Howard of the Lakers, every time Bam guards him, he just bangs right into that shoulder. So that definitely caught him off guard game one. That's, that's what Dwight Howard does to people. Is he right. gets in their head. He plays like nine minutes a game, and, and he's just there to just get in people's heads. So Bam re-injures himself in game one, and we lose by like 20. So at that point, my expectations for the series changed drastically. Like going into this, I was thinking the Heat have a legit shot. But after game one, I'm like, I just want to look like we belong on the same court as them. Just don't get killed. My expectations were so low going into the rest of this series. But I was actually satisfied with game two. In game two, we were down like 10 the entire game, but we never let it get out of control. The Lakers were just playing way better than us, shooting way better. Games like that happen. We didn't get embarrassed. It wasn't ideal, but I was happy with it. I'm like, if we can just get one game, if we can get the culture win where it's Jimmy Butler, couple backups, and it's like lesser teams would have folded, but we didn't. We got a game. And then that was game three where Jimmy Butler put the team on his back and had one of the best finals performances in history. A 40-point triple-double with his second-best scorer being Kelly Olynyk, and his third option being a rookie. That just doesn't happen unless you're a really, really special player. Yeah. I think not to interject into your little... I'll go for it. The little like we hear, but I think I was super over the series after I heard those guys got hurt. I was even more after this over the series after game two. But, like... Jimmy Butler has this magic and he's such a fun player to watch. And after reading about what happened in game three, cause I didn't watch it. I, I figured after two, the heat were just going to get swept. And that was just the way it was. After reading about game three, it made game four must watch for me. I was suddenly like, no, wait, this is weird. These guys are weird. Anything can happen. And so, you know, I think this season was so much built to be a LeBron victory lab, particularly after Kobe passed. Every prominent NBA journalist starts talking about that narrative of LeBron winning one in L.A. for Kobe. I think what the NBA has shown time and time again is they give the narrative builders what they want. And, and we've ruined that the entire postseason. Like, right. It was supposed to be Milwaukee's year, you know? This was right. the year Giannis took that next step, and we got him out of here in five, despite the refs doing the best they could. And then the, we faced the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Lakers-Celtics, that always gets huge draws, no matter what the circumstances are. I was open about the fact they would have preferred a Lakers-Celtics final. Like, I, that is so enticing to, I think, 
American sports fans writ large that is as many Heat fans as I know and as much as I know that team means to our generation specifically. Like, there's a certain little, like, five-year age chunk where a bunch of kids, like, bandwagoned the Heat for LeBron but then stayed. Yeah. And I find that so kind of magical, and it's such a significant portion of the Heat's fan base now that have gone on this journey with them that it's hard not to kind of pull for them, like, empathetically. Because that absolutely, like, especially in American sports, has not been my MO, right? Like, I was a huge Peyton Manning fan when he was in Indianapolis, and then he went to the Broncos, and I was like, I see no reason to give a damn about Indianapolis anymore. Um, But the fact that I think, you know, we have dissected your love for the Heat time and time again on this show, and I'm sure it won't be the last. Even should they tomorrow go back to wallowing in obscurity, I'm sure you're going to, like, you know, continue to love this team. But I just think I would never have expected this final. And I would never have expected it to be so heartbreaking that this has been the way it's gone. Yeah. That pretty so, much nail on the head for what I felt about game four. Yeah, so let's talk about game four. We're going down the stretch. Yeah. And it's just getting to the point where it's looking more and more mathematically impossible. It's not like you're getting played off the floor, but it is just clear that you're going to come up a little short. What's going through your head? So my entire mentality, like game three, I carried it over to game four. Like game three, I was not getting my hopes up the entire time. We led by like 10 in the third quarter. And I'm just like, (laughs) just sitting there like blank expression. Like I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm not getting my hopes up. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't until Duncan Robinson hit the dagger at the end. He put the stamp on it that I was like, that I went crazy. Because that was like nine point lead with 10 seconds to go. That's in all stretches of basketball impossible to come back from unless the other team just straight up leaves the floor like LeBron did. But, um, <laughs> Jesus. I'm going to take a shot at him for that, okay? That, that, that was low. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, that was great, uh, game three. And I just like basked in that glory until game four started because I didn't think anything like that was going to happen again. 40-point triple-double, that's just something that nobody can do that in back-to-back games. But if anybody could, it would be him. But I wasn't going to get my hopes up about that. So, so I went in with that same mentality, like celebration over. We got the win. And game four is like, is this going to be an actual thing? Or is this just going to be the culture win? And we go back to game two where we have a respectable loss. You know, a few things go differently here and there. We get it closer, but it's clear the Lakers are the better team. Game four wrecked scenario two and scenario one. Because <laughs> Jimmy Butler didn't do the same thing, but the Lakers were not the obvious better team that game. That game was so winnable the entire way through. It was, it was basically game two, except we were down five instead of down ten the entire way. 
four minutes to go, down five. Going through my mind is just, I don't see how we close this gap. And, and then with like two minutes to go, after Kelly Olenek bricks a three, it hits me. And this is what really tanked me down. If we have Goran Dragic, we win that game easily. Oh, for sure. Not and, even a question. And that's what really hurts about this so much. His, his backup, Kendrick Nunn, went 2 of 11 from sh- shooting in game four. 2 of 11. I don't think he's ever had a game, Dragic has ever had a game that bad. Let alone in the playoffs. Let alone in the best season of his life. So many times when the Heat are in a scoring drought, he's the one that lifts them out of it. And when we were in a scoring drought, we didn't have that guy. The Lakers, to their credit, adjusted to Jimmy Butler on offense. They're not letting him get anything in the lane. They're daring him to shoot. And the refs swallow the whistle in the fourth quarter whenever we have the ball. So that's fun. You know, we everybody's like, oh, Miami can't complain about the refs. They had more free throws. Well, that's because of the first three quarters. They were actually calling it fair. As soon as the fourth quarter hit, the Lakers were in the bonus halfway through, and we shot, like, three free throws the entire quarter. But it's been like that the whole playoffs. No excuses now. But I didn't expect it to, like, hurt this much because if we had Dragic, we win that game. And this is an actual series. Like, after game one and after game two, I'm like, sure, they're out. But this Lakers team was way better anyway. And now I'm like, oh, this could have been so magical to finally, like, get the closure after six years of not having LeBron. Show him the what he's missing out on. And now that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I think the dynamic between the Heat and LeBron this series has been fascinating. And I guess I'm curious, you know, I almost frame it as like a converse, an imaginary conversation in my head between you and Adam Silver, where it's like, I feel like you go to Adam Silver and you're like, I'm unhappy with these finals. And he's like, but they happened. And you're like, sure, yes, they happened. Thank you for that. Oh, my God, we appreciate it. But I'm still unhappy. And he's like, but your favorite player from when you were a kid is going to win the finals. And you're just like, yeah, I get that, but I'm still unhappy with these finals. And I'm just imagining him doing the, like, are you not entertained meme? Like, like what, what more could, on paper, what more could a basketball fan of our generation ask for than a super progressive league responding well not only to the coronavirus and Black Lives Matter, but having not their franchise, one of their franchise players, but their biggest player win. And I guess it, it makes me ask questions about, like, you know, why am I grumpy about this? Because on paper, it makes a lot of sense. But in practice, it feels so tired and so corporatized. And so, like, this was so clearly planned. I think it's true in every league that certain teams get structural advantages. Right? I think if you're going to sit back and pretend that the NFL doesn't do a similar thing with the Packers, 
you're lying to yourself or like but it's only ever worked out like once for the Packers and that year right. they like had a look that was like their best squad they were the best team in the NFL that year but for whatever reason it's easier to do in the NBA it has something to do with the game. It has something to do with the size of the team. It has something to do with the level of import that referees' decisions have going down the stretch. But again, for whatever reason, part of the reason I've never been able to get into this league as much as I think you and, and much of our generation have is it's just so easy to see the hand of God in everything. And I'm just wondering, like, do losses like this, where it's so clear your team was meant to lose, and then they, you know, I, it's not over, but they likely do. Um, does that kind of take some of the sweetness out of watching the NBA for you? Well, um, I, I get what you mean by, like, was meant to lose, but at the end of the day, the refs did their thing but we had like 17 wide open threes that game and we missed over half of them. True. I, I could complain about the refs. I will complain about the refs, but at the end of the day, if we make three more three point shots with nobody on them, if Kendrick Nunn goes five of 11 instead of two from 11, then we win the game. And it's that simple. It's, it sure. becomes a lot harder to dwell on, oh, they had it out for us when, hey, I knew that was going to be the case going in. It's been the case since the Bucks series. So, you know, nothing really changed there. And we found a way to win both of those series pretty easily, I may add. Boston gave us a good scare a lot of times, but at the end of the day, you know, down the stretch, the better team makes – makes the plays with two minutes to go five point game obviously Lakers have the advantage but it's up to us to close that gap and we just couldn't do it if that really doesn't yeah. take that much out of it but, but I guess my question is more about the like broader structural setup of the NBA like for example if tomorrow Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and several other good MLB players decide we are all going to force trades to the San Diego Padres and we're going to win so many goddamn rings. Major League Baseball would do something to stop that. They actively work to distribute wealth, which is funny because I think that they're seen as the league where it's like, well, they can buy anything in baseball, which I believe is true, right? I believe that the hand of money is too present in baseball, right? If tomorrow in English soccer, all the best players from Man City and all the best players from Liverpool and all the best players from Chelsea got together and said, we're going to go play at Burnley, someone's going to say, no, you're not. You're absolutely not that would ruin the league. But in the NBA, no one, no one stops LeBron from saying, I'm going to grab whoever I decide I want to play with this year in whatever city I decide I want to play in this year. 
and immediately, regardless of who it is really and where it is, they've got a legitimate title chance. Someone needs to stop this man. I I do definitely agree with that uh, latter half of that point. Uh, the Lakers team, only two people who get any playing time whatsoever were drafted by the Lakers. I want to say three, maybe two, of the players on that team were on that team before LeBron came. And he's only been there two years. Heck, uh, let's go starting lineup right now. LeBron, uh, Dwight Howard, brought in this year. Anthony Davis, brought in this year. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, new addition this year. And Rondo, new addition. There, there you go. If they have Rondo in the starting lineup, that's four new additions and one guy who just joined the year before. Yeah. It, I don't think that should be allowed. I think they should make like a limit of number of moves you can make in an offseason or something but, like that. Yeah, I agree with you that I, I don't know what it is, but I agree with you that it needs to be something. I think it's particularly frustrating for someone who will always be a little bit of a Knicks fan to sit around and go, I know we're two seasons away from a title in this league, but for whatever reason, no one has decided that the Knicks are going to win again. And eventually someone will, right? Some star will be like, no, I want to go to New York. But the Knicks are are in the same city. And I mean, sure. But I think eventually, eventually some star will say, no, I want to win it. And I want to win it with New York's team. Screw the Nets. That hateful abomination of basketball. Like, I'm going home to the Garden. And, you know, will I be thrilled? Absolutely. Is it going to be cheaper? Because I know that at the end of the day, it was just something somebody decided to purchase and not a team legitimately making meaningful changes and getting better over time. Yeah. It's not going to be nearly as fun as watching like Liverpool have its recent resurgence or, you know, any of the many other teams I've watched that have sucked through the years who I may or may not mention because I don't want Justin to rag on them. Yeah. It's, it's two different feelings for sure. The ones I got from the LeBron heat and the heat of now. Like, the LeBron Heat, I will say that that team earned everything they got. Nothing really came easy for them outside of, like, the first two rounds of the playoffs. Those Eastern Conference Finals series against the Pacers, they went, like, six and seven. So they had some competition in the East. That's something that hasn't been there in a while. For sure. And they were two and two in the finals. So – a lot of people like say they were like maybe the first super team making all those moves in the offseason. Yeah, but compare that to say the uh, 2017 Golden State Warriors, that's a bit different where you have a championship team and you add a top three player to it. Granted, the Warriors built that team through the draft and only had like one big free agent signing on that team before he came. And even then, that was Iguodala, who was like their fifth man. But still, it's a bit different, those, those two things. And I think it's also a bit different what LeBron did in L.A., where 
he didn't like bring somebody with him like he did with Bosch. He traded half the team for Anthony Davis, basically. Yeah. But yeah, those LeBron years were very fun. Like that 2013, you know, finals was like one of the best times of my life as a sports fan. But I have to admit, winning the East back then was like, this is what we're supposed to do. But winning it now was like such a better feeling. And like, I know if we were to somehow win the championship, it would feel a lot better than it would in the LeBron years without question. After sitting through those five seasons of the first year after LeBron left, that team just did not have any culture whatsoever. It was just whatever people we could get to play on a heat team that didn't have LeBron. And, you know, they lost the Eastern Conference semis in seven. That Some people still say that team had a chance to beat the Cavs in the Eastern Conference finals, but I just couldn't get into them. And then we started to suck. Then we got, like, the Dion Waiters games, and that brought me back into it. And now I, everything we tried to build has been built. This is the team. This is the culture team that we've been working on for the past four years. And we were to somehow win, it would be such a better feeling. So, but I'm going to have to be frank with you, and I know you're sore today. And I, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, God, you created your own monster here in every sense of the word, right? Like, you let LeBron know, and you opened up to the league the idea of a super team, right? That well, was something... The, the, the Celtics did it before. They, uh, I mean... They added of, Kevin Garnett but, and Ray Allen to a team with Paul Pierce. But not to the level of success. And the fact that, like, yeah, Dr- Dwayne Wade was there, but I think it's clear that the Wade Heat would never have been special if LeBron and Bosch hadn't decided to join him. And let's not kid ourselves about the fact that part of the reason they picked the Heat was, oh, it's warm, it's a nice place to live, who doesn't love Miami, and I guess we like the coach. But can we get back to talking about how great the weather is? Like, that's a significant part of the reason that LeBron and Bosch decided to go there. And, you know, I, I enjoy those Heat teams for what they were, like we've said, but I do think they set a precedent in the league where it was like, well, anything goes as far as forming super teams. I mean, even Dion Waiters, who was your man, you run his meme page, he's on these Lakers now. Well, he's only on the Lakers because... But Avery Bradley didn't want to go to the bubble, so they needed to fill up, fill in the player with free agency. And Waiters was like the best available. <laughs> sure, absolutely. But is there not some sick irony in the fact that even your replacement boy was bought by this team, right? Like the man who 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 was your your shining light. Your, your candle in the wind after LeBron. God, you've convinced me to love Dion Waiters to an irrational level, and I hate it. Um, <laughs> the weirdest stories. 
<laughs> he's like the most underappreciated weird guy in NBA history. Like, but it, imagine how much fun it would be for you guys right now if Dion was on the Heat instead of the Lakers. Man, if we would have kept him, if he would have yep. been on the instead of Kendrick Nunn, we probably win that game. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's why there's a certain, like, but it twisted awfulness to this loss for you guys. Is because as much as I wanted you guys to be the anti-hero, I wanted you guys to be able to, like, finish off this Lakers team, it was just never – I mean, this isn't David and Goliath. This is David and, like, eight Goliaths, and he's only got six stones. It's, it's like the, the NBA is becoming more and more like a casino to me. The house is always going to win. And are you going to have a few years where, yeah, teams hit the jackpot? You know, sure. Um, are you going to have playoff series like, like the ones the Heat had this year where you put a few blackjacks together and things start to feel good? Yeah. But when the chips are really down, the house is always going to win. Which just turns me off of watching this league in ways I cannot describe. And that's been particularly difficult, I think. Like, I would have been way more into these finals if they were happening at their allotted time. Oh, yeah. But the second you put the NBA up against anything else, I no longer want to watch the NBA playoffs. When my only other option is, like, the Valero Texas Open and, like, mid-season baseball, nah. I'll watch some basketball. What the hell? All right. couple things there. One, uh, <laughs> as much as the young Raiders would have helped us win the last game, we are not in the finals if we don't trade him. Justice Winslow and James Johnson, two members for Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala, he were huge in helping us beat the Bucks. So as much yeah. as I'm sad that he's gone, as much as he would have helped us in the series, it had to be done. Yeah. And yeah, if you've checked the ratings for the NBA Finals, lots of people agree with you. Like, <laughs> these are the lowest-rated finals. You have to go to Spurs and Nets 2003 to find something that even comes close. Would – a different pairing of teams have helped them. I think slightly better if it's Lakers Celtics or maybe even Lakers Bucks, but like let's not act that Lakers Heat, well, it wasn't the NBA's first choice. It's not a bad it's not a bad draw. It's not like no. Lakers Pacers. Like there are plenty of storylines to be found here. It's not Sure, easy. absolutely. So I think like one of the more interesting ones to me would have been Clippers Celtics just because I think those teams play styles are so interesting. Like I wanted to see that series, even though I knew I probably wasn't going to. Yeah. I think you're right that it would have been slightly higher if it was Lakers Celtics. I would have definitely built it in my mind as like slightly more must watch for the first couple of games. I think if those guys didn't get hurt in the first game, this would have absolutely been a series for the ages. Um, I think it's going to be easy to forget that going forward. So thank God we have this very serious, 
very professional podcast to put down in the historical record that this could have been something special and in a way still was something pretty special. How, uh, how 76ers fans talk about Allen Iverson's game, game one win against the Kobe Shaq Lakers back in 01. I think that's how I'll remember this series as time goes by is right. remember the Jimmy Butler game and nothing else from it. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to watch game four? Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe. I, it's Friday night. I do have plans that night. So maybe question mark. If it's on, I'll watch it. I'll probably cave in and watch the second half regardless. And as soon as the game's over and the Lakers likely win, I will be refreshing Twitter frantically, hoping that somebody posts the picture of the young waiters with the trophy. That's all I want now. I, I just want that picture of the young waiters with an NBA Finals trophy. Like last oh. year, when, when Jeremy Lin won it, I printed that picture out and I have it on my wall to this day <laughs> of Mr. Lin's sanity riding the bench to an NBA title. And if waiters were to do that, that would make me so happy for the guy. No one feels up there better than him. I'm so happy. What, what happened to Jeremy Lin, man? That's a whole other can of worms. We shouldn't oh, get we, it. We don't have time for that. The Jeremy <laughs> Holy crap. That We'll never see anything like that again. That's nope. all I'm saying. Absolutely not. Well... The NBA, it's a thing. Watch it. Game four or game five, Friday. Shrug. Um. All right. Let's talk about a little thing they call in this neck of the woods the National Football League. It um it is still happening against all odds and common sense. Um, but. Justin, you, you think the wheels are falling off the bus? Yeah. Uh, just the first three weeks went by without any real problems that you heard about, or at least that we know about. Uh, it just, <laughs> I believe the latter more than I believe the former. <laughs> like, sure, yeah, I guess we didn't hear anything, but there was definitely stuff going on we're going to read about in the, or hear about in the 30 for 30 about this NFL season. Maybe, but until that comes out, Let's play along. First three, three weeks, 27 of the stadiums didn't have fans in it. But other than that, pretty normal NFL season. The football was what was being talked about afterwards. Week, right. week four, the Titans become the first team with an outbreak, and their game against the Steelers gets moved. They were, NFL's credit, they were able to shuffle things around in a way that made sense and was like, hey, if this is all there is, they did a good job. But now we're seeing it's not all there was. Uh, Cam Newton tested positive in the week leading up to a Sunday game against with Patriots Chiefs, and they decided, let's move it today. Well, there weren't any other positives until today, where Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore tested positive for COVID-19. So, yep. all, all, all the Chiefs are still negative, but... We just found two new Titans positives today, so that's likely to change. But then again, the Titans opponent, after all those positives, the Vikings didn't have any. So, I don't know. I don't know. And then the team the Titans are scheduled to play this weekend, uh, let me look this up so I 
get my facts straight. Yep, Titans play the Bills this weekend, and if the Titans aren't able to uh, get it under control, whatever that means, uh, they're going to count it as a forfeit and say the Bills win. So. Yep. And not to mention what happens to the Chiefs games now if, if, they're, if their tests change. You know, this, this is starting to become a real big mess. Like, as chaotic as college football has handled this whole thing, as poorly as they've handled this whole thing, they at least, the ones who have started early, gave themselves time to make things up. The NFL is not going to budge. Nope. With schedule. The Super Bowl is going to be played first Sunday in February, like it always has been. The route we get there at this point is anybody's guess. Asterisk if we even get there at all. Sure, sure. I, I hear you, naysayer. I, I, I see you. But were there not those who, when it looked bleakest for a Major League Baseball season, said, there's no way this is going to happen. There's no way that this can pull through. And you know what? If you put enough people's health at risk and you don't give a crap about your players, anything is possible with the power of raw capitalism. You're absolutely – like, I am not sure of how we will get there. But Major League Baseball is in the midst of, like, a pretty fun and intense playoff run. Um, Like, these games have been great. And if you ask anybody now in Major League Baseball, like, who said, is this going to happen in the middle of their season, you know, they absolutely have to eat their words a little bit. Myself included, because I was not convinced that this was going to happen, and yet here we are. Uh, am I convinced this should have happened? I mean, again, on our college football coverage, I think we've gone into this more than anything else. Like, I'm not convinced this should be happening, but I'm going to enjoy it because I have no say over whether or not it does happen. I don't think there's a world in which the NFL doesn't have some sort of a playoffs with some sort of a Super Bowl. And I I think you're right that it doesn't get delayed. I think what you're going to see is, like, more teams being forced to play more games in a shorter span of time. We could have, like, an almost full spate of Thursday games at some point, right? I think instead of having just, like, Sunday be the day where the majority of teams play, you're going to see, like, three Monday games and two Thursday games, and what the hell, nothing's happening this Wednesday? Let's throw a game on this Wednesday. Like, they will find janky ways to play more games, even if it means destroying players' bodies and minds. Well, uh, the MLB, when they had their problems, uh, that forced the Cardinals to play 57 games in 44 days. Obviously, the NFL... I don't think they can get away with doing something similar to that. They can't do a Thursday-Sunday, a team have a Thursday and a Sunday game in the same week. It just... Could you do a Tuesday-Sunday? Tuesday-Sunday? Well, Tuesday-Sunday, that's not much different than a Sunday-Thursday, provided you have a bye on Sunday. So, like, I guess that could work. Yeah. But... Yeah, those are the kind of things we're going to see. And, yeah, would I be at all surprised if they made a team play a Thursday-Sunday? 
No. I, I, I would. I, I don't think the players would go for that. I really don't. And coaches and everything else, I, I don't see the league going You think that if you gave a team the option of your season is over or you play your last two games four days apart, they uh, still don't go for it? I don't, I don't know if they'd be presented the option is, is the thing that two games. You just, I just don't think you believe strongly enough in the power of prescription opioids and capitalism. Nothing like that's ever been attempted before. I think it's far more likely we just call off one of those games and go by win percentage. And we have a season where some teams play 12 games, some teams play 14, some teams play 16. And we yeah, maybe you're right, games. but that still gets us to a full playoff schedule. Yeah, I, I kind of jumped the gun with the asterisk if it happens at all, but uh, I felt right. I needed to throw that in there because there's a lot of pessimism going around now and give the people what they want. Um, so Ooh, I reject the idea that the people want pessimism. Absolutely reject that. I think it makes them turn on the TV and then be sad. And frankly, our ratings aren't high enough for me to want to chase them. And I'm just going to say what I think I legitimately feel, which is you should go through this NFL season with your eyes totally open to the moral conflict it should cause you. Um, and you should be frustrated with the way the world is and the way things have to be, but do your best to enjoy a thing that you typically enjoy because in the fleeting moments that we can grab something that warms our hearts in this terrible, terrible cold expanse we call this year, um, you should do it. Yep. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL adapts to this also because I think that like, the leagues we've seen adapting to problems are less of a, like, like the machinery of the NFL is just bigger. There's more players. I think there's not necessarily more cities, but it's the cities, you know, the biggest cities in the country. And Green um, Jacksonville. Well, I think what you're saying by that is greater Wisconsin and greater redneck Florida. But God, give Omaha an NFL team. That's, that's the argument I really want to make today. You put UNMC on the NFL map, they'll solve all of this for you in a heartbeat. Look at the Big Ten. Everything went fine. Damn it. Uh, oh, one more thing I feel like I should mention on this, on this pot. It's not about NFL, but two of the four teams that made the college football playoff last year have lost their home conference opener. And there's one team that has yet to play their home conference opener. It's Ohio State versus Nebraska. I'm not saying get hyped. I'm just saying there's a chance. I'm trying to think. So Alabama? No, Bama missed the playoff last year. Oh, that's LSU right. lost to Mississippi LSU. State. And then who's the other one? Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. Oh, damn. Did they really? Yup. This year is a crapshoot. Nothing matters. Welcome to 2020. All right. It's 10 a.m. I got to go. So we will talk about Niagara Falls and barrels some other time. Yes, we'll add that to the <laughs> list of topics we have yet to get to. Absolutely. It's a long and ever-expanding list that we will never get to the bottom of. <laughs> nope. God help our futile efforts. We will talk about Niagara Falls. It's 
there's some hilarious stories in there. I absolutely believe you. Justin, it was good to catch up with you. Yeah. Internet people keep internetting. Have nice lives.